the uh, high school campus. So without taking any further of uh, Joel's time, we'll go ahead and let him come to the pulpit. Buna dimineața, as they say in Romania. Good morning. Bine ați venit. Welcome. This is uh, traditionally known as Father's Day. I don't have a lesson for earthly fathers. I'm going to talk about our Heavenly Father. But I do remember my father. When I was in kindergarten, my mother and father were baptized. And I saw my father grow in the church and eventually become an elder. He died in 2007. And I loved my father. I mean, he gave me good advice. I talked to him about a lot of religious topics, about everything. He knew how to work on cars. He taught me how to work on cars. I was very close to my father. At least I thought I was until he died. And then I realized how really close I was to my father. Now I can't talk to him. I can't see him. I can't ask him any questions. My father's day, I don't have my father here. You don't really know how much you love someone until they're gone. And that's what Father's Day is to me. I miss my father. One of these days, I'll go to see him. I remember the last time I saw him, he was on a, a hospital bed in our front room. And I was going back to Arkansas. And my mother was going to take him to hospice, where they gave him his last dose of morphine and he breathed his last. It's a very painful thing. I don't know where you get the strength to say goodbye to your parents for the last time. I couldn't do it. I just said, I'll see you later, Dad. And he said, bye, Joe. I am going to see him later. Very difficult not to have your father around. You love your parents more than you realize. Let me tell you a little bit more about myself. Today I want to focus on the providence of God. How God has worked in our past lives to bring us to this place today. We can't say that it is by our efforts, because it's not. God has a reason, a design, and a purpose for our lives. We may not know what it is until it's over with. Samson, in the book of Judges, his life was just run amok. He did whatever he felt like doing. He ran around with loose women, never really learned to settle down. But God used his wild and crazy life to accomplish his will. Samson may not even have known that he was accomplishing the Lord's will, but the Lord, through Samson's craziness, accomplished his will. So I want to talk about the providence of God, and I want to use some examples. They may seem a little far-fetched, but at the conclusion of the lesson, I want to show you that we are in the place where God wants us to be. If you have any doubt about where you should be in your life, what you should be doing, this is it. God's got you on the right path. Don't worry about it. He's in control. Let me start out a little bit with myself because I don't have to study a whole lot for that. I remember that. I was born in Kansas City, Missouri in 1950. On my mother's birthday which happened to be December 25th. I was baptized when I was 15. I graduated from high school in 1968 at the height of the Vietnam War. That was the year that Martin Luther King was killed on April 4th, and Bobby Kennedy was shot on June 5th and died on June 6th. That was the year of the Tet Offensive, May 1st, 1968, the strongest communist push of the war. That was the, when I graduated. 
I didn't want to go to Vietnam. You could get a two-ester firm and go to college. So I went to college just because I didn't want to go to Vietnam. Didn't know what I wanted to study. Had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. The time came for me to graduate. During the time I was in college, they changed the draft to a lottery system. Well, I ended up with a low lottery number. They went to 95 that year. My number was 84. I was calling the draft board every week to see what number they're on. They were on 75 for a long time, then all of a sudden they jumped to 95. So I knew my name was in the mail. I didn't want to be drafted by the Marines, so I joined the Air Force. And I thought, my, my brother is 148. He's out of it. I'm 84. I'm going in. That was really poor thinking. This was the providence of God that I go in to the Air Force at 21 years old. I took a course of study as a medical technologist in a hospital with the only thing that was open. I did well enough that they sent me to the Air Force Academy for nine months and I trained at the hospital there. Then I went to St. Louis, my first permanent duty base, and <clears throat> I'm working in a hospital laboratory of a 500-bed hospital, and there was a, a man on the night shift that was getting transferred somewhere else. So the first sergeant came around to all our departments in the lab trying to find one person to work one week on nights. We didn't have any daytime duties if we would agree to work that one week at night. So I went around all the departments and it came to mind. I'm in chemistry. And I said, you're sure there's no daytime duties? Because besides our job, we had to do other things on the air base. And they said, no, no, there's no daytime duties. Just take this one week. And I said, I'll take all eight weeks. And no, you don't have to take all eight weeks. I thought, you don't have any daytime duties? I'll take the whole eight weeks. So I was the only guy in the lab, the 500-bed hospital, for eight weeks. There were very busy times, and there were times where it wasn't quite so busy. When it wasn't so busy, a transporter in the hospital who takes specimens and patients around would stop by to see me, and we'd have a discussion. His name was Bob McCormick, and I talked to Bob about religion. He was a Catholic. He was teaching a high school class as a Catholic in a Methodist church on Thursday night. And he wanted to know if I wanted to come with him. Well, yeah, sure, I'll come with you. I thought I can add something to the class. I'd be glad to be in your class. So I walk into the class. He introduces me as their teacher. I thought, okay. Uh, I was just going to observe. Now I'm the teacher. What have you all been studying? Well, they've been studying the book of Revelation. Okay, well, uh, we probably need to change that. I'm only going to, this class is only going to last four more weeks. Why don't we study examples of conversion in the book of Acts? So we studied the book of Acts for the next four weeks. At the end of that four weeks, a girl by the name of Gretchen was in that class, and she understood what she needed to do to become a Christian. She needed to be baptized. We studied about the Philippian jailer. He was baptized the same hour of the night. And she wanted to be baptized right then. It's 10 o'clock at night now. And I turned to Bob and I said, Bob, we can't take this girl anywhere without first notifying her parents. So we took Gretchen and we went over to her parents' house, explained to her parents what we're going to do. Explained that we were talking about baptism and Gretchen wants to be baptized. There's a church down the road, Fairview Heights Church of Christ. The preacher was at that time Don Craighead. So I called up Don. I told him we were going to have a baptism about 11 o'clock. And I was astounded, astounded that her parents allowed us to take their daughter to another religious group to be baptized in the middle of the night. I invited them to come, but they didn't really care. I would not let anybody take my 18-year-old daughter anywhere at night 
especially to another religious group to be baptized. But they seemed okay with it. In retrospect, I can see the Lord's hand working in all of that. In the fact that I met Bob. In the fact that Bob was teaching his class. I came in contact with the class. And Gretchen was baptized. I got out of the service shortly after that. I don't know what happened to Gretchen or Bob. But I worked for the Lord as I could. I baptized Bob before I went to that class. So Bob baptized Gretchen at 11 o'clock at night at Church of Christ at Fairview Heights. I was walking through the laundry in the barracks. And there was this, uh, an airman there all uptight about his girlfriend. He was all emotional about his girlfriend. His name was Mark Tomlis. And I said, Mark, what's the problem here? Well, he told me the problem. It was obvious he should dump this girl. He was all distraught. My roommate was getting out of the service. So I said, Mark, just move in with me and we'll talk about it. So we talked about it. I tried to help him on. The conversation continued into a religious area. And he was very interested in talking about religion. He was a Baptist from uh, Florida. Later on, I baptized him at Fairview Heights. And then another weekend, this was November 1974, Thanksgiving night, I'm sitting in a day room on the second floor of the barracks watching a football game between Notre Dame and USC. Almost at halftime, not quite at halftime, the score was 24 to nothing, Notre Dame. Mark opens the door and says, I got a man who wants to become a Christian. So I thought, okay, Notre Dame's going to win this game. No reason to watch this any longer. I left right before the halftime started. At halftime, the score was 24-7. USC made a touchdown. So I left and went upstairs to uh, room 325. That was my barracks room. And we talked with Tim Lund and Mark till, from 8 o'clock till midnight. And he was ready to be baptized at midnight. And I said, you sure you know what you're doing, Tim? He said, you explained it very clearly. So we took him to Fairview Heights Church that night, and Mark baptized Timothy Lund. And Mark went to IBC in Florence when it was still operating. I don't know if it's still operating anymore or not, and became a preacher. And I think Timothy went to the same school. I don't know if he finished or not. I missed one of the great half games in college football history because USC went on to win that game 55-24. Notre Dame didn't score another point. USC scored 55 points in the last half. But Tim became a Christian. Mark became a Christian. Bob became a Christian. Gretchen became a Christian. The last few months I was in the Air Force, while I was working on this night shift that nobody wanted, and I was more than glad to take it to get away from the chaos and confusion of the day shift, you never know where your decisions are going to lead you or if you're being presented with an opportunity to serve the Lord. Because the Lord doesn't just jump out of the bushes and grab you and say, here I am. You've got to follow what I'm saying. He sneaks up on you. The coast of Palestine runs down along the Mediterranean Sea and then the coast has a little bump and goes on down. That bump is Mount Carmel. You remember Mount Carmel? That's where Elijah had a contest with 450 prophets of Baal and then another 400 prophets. 850 prophets against Elijah. Do you really think those prophets had any chance against Elijah? Who are we talking about? The man that was in the transfiguration. Elijah, though, gets scared. Runs off to Sinai Peninsula, hiding in a cave. 
He's afraid Jezebel's going to kill him. And there's a sudden wind that comes through the valley, crashing the rocks, but the Lord was not in the wind. There came a great earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. There came a fire, the Lord was not in the fire. People expect the, the Lord to come in a, in a great, miraculous way. Doesn't happen. Then Elijah heard a still, small voice. And he took his cloak and he pulled it over his head. And he went out to the mouth of the cave. He knew, being a prophet, that this was the Lord. And the Lord says, what are you doing here, Elijah? He comes to us in quiet times. He comes to us very, almost imperceptibly. The philosophers have an idea for this. It's called epistemic distance. God keeps Satan at a distance from us, and he keeps himself at a distance from us. Remember in the book of Job, God said to Satan, you can torture the man, but don't kill him. God is putting limits on how close Satan can get to us, and he puts limits on how close he's going to get to us. We're not going to be overcome and forced to choose to do right or to choose wrong. There will always be a way to escape. You're not going to be forced to go either way. You have complete free will. That's what some philosophers call epistemic distance. So we have a choice to follow the Lord's guidance. How does he guide us? Two ways. Through other people and through circumstances. He'll put you in a circumstance to see what you're going to do. You're going to give me an 84 lottery number and see what I'm going to do. And he's going to end up throwing me into the barracks to see what I'm going to do. Put me on the night shift to see what I'm going to do. We don't give up. Joseph was thrown in prison for two years. Two years, nothing happened. Nothing happened. Thought the story came to an end and it was a failure. Joseph didn't give up. The story was a great success. So that's the providence of God. When I got out of the Air Force, 11.30, I don't want to go too long, 11.30. I want to add this uh, one little story here. It's, when I was in the Air Force, there were men, believe it or not, that ran off to Canada. They didn't want to go to Vietnam. They just ran off to Canada. Johnson was the president, and then uh, Gerald Ford, well, Gerald Ford was the president at this time, and he gave these men who ran off to Canada amnesty. They'd come back to the U.S., no problem. Not going to be arrested, no fine, no nothing. They just gave them amnesty. So I wrote a letter to President Ford. I said, Dear President Ford, you know, I've worked hard. I've done my job. I didn't run off. I'm not particularly happy about being in the Air Force. I'd kind of like to get out myself. A week later, I get a letter back from the White House. And then they was telling me that they were sending my request to the Consolidated Base Personnel Office in San Antonio, Texas. And then two weeks later, I got a letter back from them saying my discharge was approved. Full GI benefits. Full GI bill. The people at the hospital just kind of laughed at me. You're writing the president. You're asking to get out of the military. I said, yeah, I know. I held my hand up in a room lined with curtains and was sworn in like all of y'all, but if you don't ask, you don't receive. So I handed out 65 copies of my out-processing orders and left their base at Scott Air Force Base. That was in December of 74. In January of 75, I was enrolled at Harding School in Searcy on the GI Bill. I worked at the hospital there, White County Memorial Hospital, and in between the uh, GI Bill and the money I made at the hospital, I graduated without any debts. 
I didn't have any parental help. I didn't have any loans. I worked hard to get there. And God helped me with the GI Bill. It's astounding to me how God helps us out. And this same thing, I told you I went to the grad school in Memphis. The same thing happened there. I'm working a night shift at Baptist Hospital. The one was blown up in November 2005 through asbestos all over the city. They gave me tuition reimbursement to go to school. I had a scholarship from the graduate school and I had the GI Bill. I went to the Harding Graduate School for free. And then when I went to anesthesia into the nursing school in St. Louis University, somebody, I don't know who it was, sent me an application from East Tennessee to apply for the VA scholarship. I don't know who this man was, but the Lord works through people and circumstances. He said, why don't you apply for the VA scholarship? I didn't know they had a scholarship. I applied for the VA scholarship that paid for my nursing school. I went to Harding, didn't have any debts. I went to graduate school for free. I went to the nursing school at St. Louis University for free. My parents couldn't help. They just, they didn't have the finances to do that. The Lord provided a way. And you can't see farther than your windshield, but you can see behind you where you've come. You know God has been with you. And that keeps you going no matter what you might face in the future. So I'm at Harding. January 75. February 75, some friends and I decided to go to Little Rock to eat at Casa Bonita. It's not, a, not there anymore. It's a fancy Mexican restaurant where they come around and they play music at your table. On the way back, they started talking to me about going to Holland that summer for six weeks to work in a campaign. I had saved about $1,100 in the Air Force. I thought there was a fair amount of money for 1975. And uh, I don't know, going to Holland, I've never been out of the, even I was in the Air Force, I didn't leave the country. I don't know about going to Europe. I've got to work this summer. I've got to save money for school. And during the 45-minute drive from Little Rock to Searcy, I decided, okay, I'll go with you. What's it going to cost? $1,000. Oh, I knew it would be $1,000. I knew it would cost me everything I had saved to go on this campaign and sacrifice all the six weeks I would need to work during the summer. I'd never raised support before. I didn't know how to raise support. They said, well, you just ask your friends and family. Okay. So I did. And I raised a little over $1,000. Didn't cost me anything to go that one summer to Germany. I ended up going to Germany. I didn't go to Holland. I went to Germany. Then when I was in Germany, I worked in uh, Schweinfurt for three weeks and then Bremen for three weeks. Met some missionary families. I stayed with the Zastraus in Bremen. They had a little girl named Gabi. In 1975, she was six years old. And I would sing the children's songs with her on the way to church every day. And I still remember some of those German songs. Gott ist die Liebe, lass mich erlösen. Gott ist die Liebe means God is love. Er liebt auch mich means he loves even me. That was a little children's song at ten verses. She's probably 46 now. She was a beautiful little girl then. I became acquainted with missionary families and with the church in Germany. And like Matthew 19.29 says, I really did gain a hundred times more than I gave up. Came back to Harding in August. Met another friend who, him and a group, went to Austria and some of them went on into Russia. He showed me a picture of the group. 
And there was this little girl up in the corner. I said, who's that, Keith? Oh, that's Lisa Schofield. Forget about it, Joe. She's almost engaged. I said, are you sure, Keith? Oh, yeah, forget about it, Joe. She's almost engaged. Almost engaged is not engaged. But he said, forget about her. Well, she had pretty hair, so I thought I'd find out who she is. And we've been married now 41 years in August, and we have three grown children. And there is nothing in my life that has blessed me more than a Christian wife than Lisa Schofield from Cleveland, Ohio. She's not here this morning. You can probably see my ring from where you're sitting. I don't have any piercings. I don't have any tattoos. The only jewelry I wear is my wedding band. I wanted to get a bigger one than anybody else because I just love her that much. So I found what I was looking for at Hardy. A degree in Bible, and I got married. And then, ended up going to, to anesthesia school. Got out of school. Went to Jonesboro. Jonesboro had a church that had a group going to Guyana. I went to Guyana. So in... September of 2007, when Harvey came to Valley View, and I wasn't there, I was, I was working. I'm used to uh, putting one person at a time to sleep. Now I have the opportunity to put an entire room to sleep. <laughs> he asked for two people out of 600 to go to Romania and teach. I knew I had to do it. The Lord had prepared me. He had given me the opportunity. It didn't really apply to anybody else in that room. It applied to me. I had to go. I thought it was just for one year. It turned out to be 10, and I'm going again. This will be my 14th time to go. I went twice in 9, 11, and 15. And I'll go every year as long as the Lord keeps me healthy. That's my job. If the plane goes down, it goes down. All the apostles except one were martyred. Matthew was burned at the stake. Thomas was drowned. Some of the others were stoned to death. Every conceivable death the apostles endured and they have become the foundation stones of the church. They sacrificed their life and were rewarded. There's no sacrifice you can make that God's not going to reward you more than what you sacrifice. Not going to happen. I, I'm not a preacher. I didn't want to be a preacher. I thought at one time I wanted to be a preacher, but I changed my mind. It's harder work than you think, uh, trying to keep everybody happy. I don't have to worry about that because I'm out the door this afternoon. But to keep everybody happy for an extended period of time is not an easy trick. Uh, so I went into anesthesia because, well, you can make good money. I don't really like it. I'd rather drive a truck but at least it keeps me employed. There's always somebody in Memphis stabbing and shooting themselves. One Saturday I had 11 gunshot wounds in a row and then a knife stab and then one more gunshot wound in a row. Now I go to Romania and I like to teach to young people. They're very special to me because that's where you make the decision to follow the Lord usually in your late teens, early 20s. Some of them are afraid to take that step. It's a big step. Your life's going to change. You've got to give up your former life. And they think they have to live perfect after they become a Christian. Well, that's not going to happen. You're not a perfect individual. You're not going to live perfect. 
God knows that from the beginning. That's why the sacrifice of Christ is made. To pay for all the sins that you will do. But that's not the way you want to live your life. And I explain it to them with an analogy from the Old Testament. Because I love the Old Testament. I teach them baptism by using the Old Testament. Not just the New Testament, but the Old Testament. In Acts chapter 7, Stephen uses only the Old Testament, which is all he's got, to preach Christ. And we can do the same thing with just the Old Testament. And this is how I teach baptism. God left us a visual aid in the history of the nation of Israel, starting in Egypt, then the Exodus, then the wilderness wandering, then the Jordan River, and then Canaan. Egypt is the world that we all grew up in. And Exodus is our baptism. Paul said that, 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 4. They were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And then the wilderness wanderings is our Christian life. God gave them everything they needed. Their shoes didn't wear out, their clothes didn't wear out. He gave them food and water, manna, and uh, quail. Took care of his people, even though they were unfaithful, didn't go into the promised land. He didn't walk off and leave them in the, in the desert. He took care of them. And then they crossed Jordan. He opened the Jordan. The Ark of God stands in the middle of the Jordan River, representing the presence of God. He stands in the middle of death. The Jordan River represents death. And we walk across on dry ground. It says the people hurried across to Canaan, which is heaven to us. You're not going to get to the promised land if you don't leave Egypt. And nobody stood at the base of Mount Sinai where God gave the law who did not come through the waters of the Exodus. Nobody in the Old Testament came into a covenant relationship with God at Mount Sinai who didn't come through the waters of the Exodus. That's our baptism. That's why the young people need to be baptized. Yeah, but I'm not going to live right. Of course you're not. They didn't. They wandered around. But the nation made it. They made it to the promised land. If you don't quit, even though you're going in circles, you're going to make it. It's a guarantee. It's history. It's written in the Old Testament. It's a fact. It's a visual aid for the whole world. So if you get confused, and someone gets confused with New Testament teachings, there's a pattern left in the Old Testament that cannot be denied. It shows us the undeniable importance of baptism. Well, let's get back to Romania. Why go to Romania? Somebody's got to go. God knows where he wants people to go. He knows who he wants to send. He knows how to prepare them. He gives them the opportunity, we must go. Well, why don't you go to Sudan? Why don't you go to Mozambique? Why don't you go to China? Other people are going, the Lord hasn't called me to go there. He's called me to go to Romania through Mr. Harvey. Mr. Harvey was called to go to Romania. In the parable of the sower in Matthew chapter 13, the sower goes about throwing seed everywhere. He knows it's not going to grow on the road and the thorns and the rocky places. But there are people everywhere that need to hear the gospel. We're not the ones to choose where we should go. God is. He knows where we should go. He'll bring circumstances and people to us to tell us. That's the way it's always worked in my life. That's the way it always works in the Bible. Saul was on the way to Damascus to destroy Christians. 
And Christ stopped him in his tracks and turned his life around. I have something else for you to do, Saul. First of all, I'm changing your name. If we don't go, God will find someone else to go. He has people in Romania, just like he had people in Nineveh. Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. He didn't want to preach to the Ninevites because they were so evil. None of those people are going to repent. They're evil people. He ends up on a boat in a storm. And now the prophet is willing to give his life for the pagan men on that ship. But not go to Nineveh to preach to pagan men. Whom the Lord knows are going to repent. And they did. Even the king. So when he calls us in a still small voice, we need to listen carefully. The Romanian Christians, besides all this, beg me to come back. I enjoy going. They become like family to me. I love those people. I don't know you as well as I know them, but if I know you as well as I know them, I would love you too. That's the way the Lord's Church works. There are excellent people everywhere you go. I know there are here. I know there are there. I wish I could tell you some of the stories. There's a girl named Juana, grew up in basically a two-room shack about 15 kilometers from Patesht. She helps out in translation. She's a very good translator. She's about 23 now. Several years ago, she was going to go to college. She didn't quite get a scholarship, and she couldn't go to college. And I said, Christina, what's it going to cost for her to go to college? Do you know what it costs to go to college in Romania for one entire year? $800. I brought about three or $4,000 with me like I usually do. I just give it to Christine and let her use it any way she wants. I said, send her to college. The next year she got a scholarship. She's from a family where her father died, I think, of tuberculosis. Her brother had tuberculosis. Her mother is, is totally unconcerned with the family. Her sister lives with a man. She is the one who makes the best grades on my exams. My exams are not easy, and she makes the best grade on them. Now she's a translator. She's helping Christina because Yulia has passed. She's a tremendous help for the church. These are such wonderful people. If it was just Christina and Yulia, I would go. If it was just Juana, I would go. We don't know where the fertile soil is. We're not asked to decide. We're just asked to go. Harvey's work is highly organized, highly efficient. I've never seen a work this organized and this efficient that I love to be a part of. I've seen it work very good. I've seen other places where things get lost in the cracks. Not with this in Romania. I'm proud of the work that we do in Romania. Well, our time is over. And I'll be going back to Jonesboro. It has been a pleasure to see and to meet some of you today. We have a tradition in the Churches of Christ that we offer an invitation at the end of the lesson. They don't do that in Romania, they just sit down. But you never know when you're going to meet again. In the pictures that we didn't see, I have one picture of the group, and there are two ladies in that picture that aren't there anymore. One of them had heart problems and died suddenly. The other one lived by herself. A beautiful lady, she sang in wedding receptions, slipped, getting into the bathtub, hit her head, fell unconscious, and drowned. 
one month after I took that picture. You never know what tomorrow may hold. If you've thought about being baptized, if you want to turn your life around, today, Father's Day, is a good day to do it. We ask you, if you have that in your mind, please come and let us know while we sing. Someday you'll stand at the bar on high. Someday your record you'll see. Someday you'll answer the question of life. What will your answer be? What will it be?